Welcome to the latest episode of the Red Voices podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your week as always. You and Rich here for what feels like an uncharacteristically chirpy chat about Manchester United's pre-season and a veritable buttload of transfer rumours. Rich, are you actually looking forward to it for once? I am at the moment. I don't know if that's just kind of absence makes a hard grow fond or something. I don't know whether I'm uh. living in a cloud of delusion. But yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to the start of the season. Yeah, it could be living in a bubble, I guess. Could be completely wrong. I mean, I, I could be, yeah. Yeah. How are you in general? I, I'm pretty good. Had a nice holiday. Excellent. How was Bulgaria? It was very hot in Eastern European and good. No, it was good. It's a good break. How's your summer been? Um, I mean, a, a bit wet lately, but apart from that, yeah. I mean, I made the mistake of playing five aside on Monday and my legs are still dead. What made me think that at 32 years old, I could play five aside with a group of people from work when I haven't played for like over a decade? You need to adapt your game, didn't you? You need perhaps you need to drop into a sweeper role. I mean, I tried to go in goal a lot, but even then I was a bit shit, to be quite frank. <laughs> My one shining moment of the whole evening, the whole hour we played, was I had the last shot of the game and... A mate of mine, he didn't even need to do it because the keeper had it covered. He tried to block my very tamely hit shot and it ended up rebounding off his leg and then just diverting past the keeper, slowly rolling into the bottom corner. It was absolutely hilarious. Did you did you celebrate wildly? Uh, I didn't celebrate wildly, but I celebrated more than was probably reasonable considering the occasion. <laughs> I would have done too. No, absolutely. And why wouldn't you? Right. Well, I guess last time we chatted, we were just on the verge of heading out on the preseason tour of Australia and also Southeast Asia. So we've played five games since then, if I, if memory serves. And uh, yeah, we've won all five. I guess that's where we're probably going to start this evening. I mean, the easy comparison to make is how things have been over the last couple of years. In particular, last summer's uh, preseason was completely toxic. Uh, the football was absolutely terrible to watch. It was very indicative of what we're about to see for the next six months. So obviously we can only go on what we've seen so far in preseason, the players that we brought in, and we'll get onto them in a little while. But my gut feeling at the minute, or at least where I'm sat in terms of my perspective, is that it's been a pretty positive summer so far. It might not have been perfect in terms of the players that we brought in, and we'll get onto transfer rumours and any of further incomings a little bit later on. But on the whole, it feels like it's been a really good exercise so far this summer, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you probably notice that every summer I have the same argument with people about whether pre-season matters or not. Um, no, I try to ignore what's going on in your timeline. It's just, it, it's tiring. That's fair. Have you muted me? I haven't muted you yet, but I'm getting close. <laughs> but I, I've always said that obviously pre-season doesn't mean everything. And there is a, de- a large degree of pre-season which is relevant to, to fitness. But the, the particularly poor... Poor seasons we've had, or the worst seasons we've had in the last five or six years. All of the issues that have then gone on to affect the, the campaign itself in competitive matches have been really, really blatantly obvious in preseason. Mm. And whilst you don't need to win all your preseason games, you need you need to show that you're you've got a plan, that you've got a got a, a structure that you're working towards, and also that your players are able to formulate that plan and that, and that they're actually developing it as as a team. And last summer, as you said, it was just about the worst preparation we could possibly have had. The team looked incredibly disjointed. Mourinho told everyone who'd listened that the whole thing was pointless and these players were shit. How is it any surprise at all that the team is then essentially exactly the same when you when you start the season? I think the the game that really sort of really concerned me last summer was the was the Liverpool game. You know, we we essentially played against the Liverpool team that had lots of changes. They brought on lots of young players in the second half. 
and the performance didn't change whether they had their best players on or their worst players. They still just completely dominated. You could see the structure of play. You could see what Klopp was trying to do. You could see the energy. And none of that was present in United, whereas this summer you can actually see the same progression of the team, the same structure. You can see what um, Solskjaer's trying to do. You can see that his players are bought into it, that they're clearly fitter than they were last at any point last season. And that it feels like we've actually got a, the potential for a, t- a team rather than, you know, it's something that will be the sum of its parts rather than what, what we saw for a lot of last season, which was something that was considerably below the sum of its parts. And so, you know, we've won five games out of five and you, you can't guarantee anything. You know, we had a good summer under Van Hull. You can't say we're going to start a season and suddenly be brilliant. But we can go into this season looking at pre-season and being a lot more optimistic that we're actually travelling in the right direction than we could do last year. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big thing over, you know, it's difficult not to compare this summer in comparison with what we've had before, just purely because that's the most recent information and things that we have to go on. So if we look at what happened last summer and the years before, in some ways you could say in particular last year, the pre-season set us up for what was to come. And that was... A football that we didn't no one really understood you know we couldn't really make head nor tail of it and that was indicative throughout maybe almost two and a half years of Mourinho with a few couple of months here and there out for good measure when we actually played really great attacking football and you know we couldn't discern what the playing style was we couldn't discern what the plan was it didn't seem like there was a coherent strategy for playing and what we were actually trying to do you know if you really want to use the term philosophy you could do because it looked like we completely lacked one but it looked like looks like we actually have a plan now I'm not saying for one second that all five games have been absolutely perfect and there are still things we need to work on and there are still players that need to come in in order to improve us and not only that you know there's no way that we're suddenly going to be able to jump back into the Premier League title race on the base of you know basis of five games won against you know a, a variety of different levels of opposition but this is the first time in some time that we've actually gone through a preseason and watched a coherent set of games where there has been a plan that has been well implemented. And you talked about the players' fitness improving, the attacking style has improved, the way that we're using the ball, even when we're coming up against a low block is actually getting better as well. And you know we can go through the games in relative detail because there's not really much point trying to dissect all five games. But you know, there's been some real bright spots. It's difficult always to judge how much game time the likes of Mason Greenwood or Sahith Chung or Andre Gomez might actually get, sorry, Angel Gomez might actually get when we actually get into the nitty-gritty of the season. Because what typically happens, and almost every manager that United had is guilty of this, is they'll give the players the run out in the preseason, but when things get tough or when we have a couple of bad results, they'll go to the players that have a bit more experience. But by that same token, the young players have come in and really taken their chance. Mason Greenwood's looked great. He scored a superb goal against Inter Milan a couple of weeks ago. He's looked sharp, and he's not the only one. You know, Tahith Chong's looked great as well. Angel Gomez scored a great goal against Spurs as well after superb work with him and Mata. And they've been taking their chances, and especially considering that very few places in this United side are considerably locked down at this point. It's been really good to see the youth players actually come through and maybe Staker claims a little bit too much, but at least put themselves in the picture to a certain extent. Yeah, it has. And I, I think we can perhaps expect a bit more of them this year than that they would have been offered the chance to provide under Mourinho. You know, Solskjaer's been... If there's one thing that he's he's done since he came in is he's looked to get, make, get in these players' game time and actually integrating them as, as well as he can. 
And even when, you know, even when things did start to get tough, he still went out of his way to to try and give them give some of them game time. United are in a really interesting position and in quite a fortunate position now that regardless of what we do in the in the transfer market, we have got a clutch of young players who are at a higher level than we've seen come through for quite some time. And whether they're completely ready for competitive first team football or not, I don't think that some of them are far away. James Garner's the one on the summer tour who probably is least likely to be involved come the start of the start of the Premier League season. And I imagine he'd probably go on loan. But the other the other three, and I speak say four if we include two Enzebe, I think have all got a chance of being involved in a decent way, particularly with the Europa League this season. You know, and obviously to some degree it's dependent on if who we managed to sign this week, if anybody. But even if we didn't, you look at a guy like Mason Greenwood and what's been impressive about him is he he's came into the first team on the last game of the Premier League season against Cardiff. He's appeared, I think, in all of the games or certainly all but one of the games in pre-season. And what, what you notice about him, apart from the fact that he is just prodigiously talented, is that he just doesn't, he's not phased and he doesn't play any differently than he has done at the, in the age group teams. He just he doesn't he doesn't look afraid. He's grown a lot in the summer. Him he and Chong are, one, are guys that appear to have really sort of developed a, an adult body or to go towards an adult body in the summer. And I think they've all got something to offer. I think Tuenzebe really could stake a claim at centre back, depending on again whether we whether we bring in Harry Maguire or not. And and so even though we've only signed two players to date, it feels like we're going to start the season with some some degree of turnover in the first team squad whereas you know we're all sick of seeing the same tired inadequate experienced faces kind of failing in the first team it feels like there's a kind of a a a draft of spring air that's come through and that possibly some of these guys could push one or two out for you know out the trap door this this summer yeah sure I mean I think what you noted there is that there has been a wave of players coming through in particular this summer who have started asking questions of the players who are above them in the pecking order. And I think one of the things that was quite apparent last night and has been apparent throughout most of the summer in particular, you know, there has been repeated calls for United to strengthen in terms of their holding midfield slash defensive midfield road. But it doesn't look like we're actually going to buy anyone in that position whatsoever this summer. And my my gut feeling is that Solskjaer is essentially prepping McTominay for what you could probably describe as the Matic role. So perhaps part of that midfield two in the 4-2-3-1 that we've been utilising a lot this summer. And I've got to say, I'm not against that at all. You know, you do have to take the opposition into account. Christians are not necessarily pulling up any trees themselves, but it was still... Maybe not a tricky game, but it was a useful challenge for us last night. I thought McTominay, for the hour that he played, was great. You know, he's getting forward a little bit more. Obviously, playing alongside Matic, the encouragement is to get forward a little bit more. But the whole idea is that, essentially, that front six are pushing on much higher than they were normally. That does leave us susceptible to a certain extent. But I think, especially when it comes to McTominay, I've been really impressed with how he's starting to take on a little bit more of the ball looking a lot more bright, making better passes and just generally looking like he's better connected with what's going on ahead of him. And frequently when he was playing for Mourinho, you couldn't necessarily see what his role is. Now it's starting to make a little bit more sense. And, you know, if it came to the the point where it was a choice between him and Matic for who plays alongside Pogba in that midfield too, for me at the minute, it's a no-brainer. I wouldn't disagree with it whatsoever. Um, you know, there's a couple other bits and bobs as well. You know, Wan-Bissaka is just slotted into the side 
effortlessly. You know, he's he's now de facto starting right back. I don't think there's any doubt about that whatsoever. You know, no one's gotten past him for the entirety of preseason. You know, there's a lot spoken about how good he is and how relatively uh, re- so how rare it is for people to get past him. But until you actually watch him and focus on what he's doing, you maybe not be able to fully appreciate it. But wow. I mean, that guy is fantastic when it comes to last-ditch challenges and just making sure no one gets past him whatsoever. He's been fantastic. And Daniel James as well has come into the team really well. Both of those players seem to have provided the team with a a breath of fresh air, besides the fact that they're both fast as fuck, which is obviously a bonus. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is, since Solskjaer came in, his, his game plan has revolved around the high press. And everybody working together to, to press very hard, win, winning the ball back as high pitch as possible and breaking. And towards the end of the season, they ran out of steam and it wasn't working. But you can see now with the younger team, with a much more mo- mobile team, that we're just swarming over teams in the in their own half. That's really been the basis on which our successful pre-season has, has happened because we've simply been incredibly difficult to play against and incredibly energetic. And I think someone, I'm not sure if it was Sky or someone... Um, Worked out that we that we were running ten percent more as a team than we had than we were in the, under Solskjaer last season. Oh, sorry, in the entirety of last season, and that's that's a, that's an awful lot. That's a huge mm. amount in, in in terms of performance. And if you just if you've got players that are able to put in that, that amount of energy, and you talked about Tomine, if there's one there's one guy in preseason who has looked like he he's not capable of doing that, it's Matic. And the one big advantage that Tomine has over him is that he is far more mobile. He's a big guy, but he's far more mobile. He's far more able to get around the pitch, and he's far more energetic. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so impressive in preseason because he's being asked to do something which is more, which is closer to his natural abilities. All these you guys, James, I don't know if James is ready to be starting straight away, but he's he's clearly the perfect player for Solskjaer because he can do that. He's he's got that pace. He can close down. He's energetic. You know, you can see, you, you can finally see what Solskjaer is trying to do, and he doesn't have to shoehorn in. Or fingers crossed, doesn't have to shoehorn in guys like Lukaku who just can't do it. Um, and and the, the impact on just taking one player out of, of that system who's not able to do it, it kind of undermines the entire the entire framework you're trying to put together. That's That's been such a positive, and the young players have really contributed enormously to, to making that work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's have a quick look at the results. So we started off on the 13th of July with a 2-0 win against Perth Glory. Uh, hammered leads 4-0 a couple of days later, which is, of course, always good fun. Uh, the first real test, I guess you could say, of the season, pre-season anyway, was against Inter Milan. And if I recall, that was just complete one-way traffic. You know, Mason Greenwood scored a Van Persie-esque goal uh, towards the end of that, which got us the 1-0 win. The game against Spurs... Uh, almost a week later, was, again, pretty enjoyable to watch, at least from the uh, from the highlights that I saw. Uh, Martial with a really great goal. I think it was, oh, was it Daniel James who set him up for that one, if I recall? It's Pereira. Pereira. I think it's Pereira. Oh, it's Pereira, I beg your pardon. You. Yeah, yeah, that, you're right. No, you're right. And then Angel Gomez with his first senior goal. Obviously, it doesn't quite count because it's preseason, which always feels a bit weird to me, but there we go. And last night in particular, I mean, one thing that stuck out last night against Christiansen that I thought was quite prescient was the fact that, I mean, basically... You know the the keepers on our side were almost complete spectators, so that was always encouraging. I think they had one decent chance throughout ninety minutes. But I thought what was interesting about that game, despite the fact that it took a penalty to win it, was that that was probably one of our most useful tests of the summer so far. In that we were playing against a team that 
at time initially in the first sort of 10 50 minutes wanted to try and press as high up the pitch but then sat back in a very very low line and essentially invited us to try and pick them apart and we came pretty close in that first half until the, the team completely changed on the hour mark after basically 11 players swapped out. You know, McTom and I hit the post, had a couple of other chances here and there. Lingard flashed one wide from distance. And it did take that penalty to actually get through and down to some great goalkeeping and some slightly wayward finishing. But I think the difference is, is that we're better at finding little pockets of space than we would have been maybe... I don't know, over the last six years, I guess you could say this has been a running theme and that United struggle to break teams down. I'm not saying we suddenly fixed it, but I thought last night in particular was an interesting test because we're going to have a lot of games similar to that in the sense that we'll come up against teams who don't have, don't have our attacking riches, who are basically going to sit and wait to be broken down. And it, the onus is on us, as it's often been, to try and do that. I feel like we're somewhat, maybe not necessarily better equipped, but suddenly a little better suited to be actually able to cope with that. And that's really exciting me because, in particular, one of the two biggest things that have driven me mad since Ferguson retired was the fact that we can't deal with being pressed. And secondly, we can't deal with teams when they sit back really deep and we have to try and break them down. I'm not saying we've suddenly fixed those two massive problems that have been causing so much stress over the last six years, but it looks like we've actually got some strategies to cope with them. And that that's fantastic. Not, that's genuinely really quite fan, quite awesome. I'm really pleased about that. And I really hope that's something that we see going into the start of the season. If you look at the attacking options we've got now, if you include the young players as well, I think it's the first time for a while we've actually had a few different types of options. So we've got we've got someone like James who who will be extremely useful away from home against a team which does commit players forward. But then we've got guys like um, Greenwood and Chong who are, very technical, like you know, they can beat players and actually make make space to break teams down who were sitting deeper. And I think what a lot of the frustration we had last year was that we didn't have any other any other plan. And against those teams that used the low block, we just weren't able to to cope with it. Um, so you know, it, there's hope that, that will be slightly different this year. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess it makes the bench quite interesting in terms of who we'll actually see there as well. And I know that. Fans have been frustrated with the fact we haven't made a midfield signing, but it does feel like the talkers, especially from Solskjaer, because obviously he's the only one we've got word to go on, seems to be that McTominay and Pereira are going to play a lot more. Um, I mean, I've mixed feelings about that because I'm still not necessarily sure what Pereira's best position is. And obviously, I'd love to see McTominay make it, and both Pereira too, but... I don't know fully how that looks. And also, you can't play a 4-2-3-1 against every team in the league and the Europa League and in the Cups and expect to win. So there is going to have to be an element of us actually trying to settle on a useful midfield three in more than a few games. And I don't know how that looks because without Herrera, without having properly brought in a somewhat more combative player and you know basically shithauser in, in his in his shape I, I don't really know what we're going to be seeing from the whole on our midfield at the minute it does feel lacking in quality I mean I guess one of the things to mention as well now as we're sort of moving on to transfers because we've only got the one preseason game left against Milan before we start against Chelsea which I guess we can start taking a bit of a look at towards the end of this pod it's talking about transfers now I think we discussed Pogba on the last episode and nothing really seems to have changed since then you know he's played pretty much the entirety of preseason he's looked pretty good every hit word you hear coming out of the likes of AS or Marcus seems to be saying that the club seemingly a getting frustrated because United just won't countenance a sale, which is great. You know, I'm happy with that. He may well go in a year's time, depending on what happens in this coming season, but that feels about the right outcome, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's interesting that after those the, the initial 
Pogba comment at the start of the summer about wanting, you know, potentially wanting a new challenge and the two or three things that, um, that his agent said, it's all gone quiet in that respect. It's deathly quiet. It has, and, and, and people were absolutely desperate to imply that Pogba had gone on tour and was in a big mard and that he was just this terrible black cloud of bringing everyone down with him, whereas it's turned out that he appears to have been having a really good time and everyone's been having a good time with him and there haven't been any problems at all. So it, it seems like they accepted or at least were resigned to the idea that United just weren't going to move this summer. And it may it may also be the case that Rail and Juve just came to the conclusion really relatively quickly that they just simply didn't want to or couldn't uh, finance the deal for him this summer. And with, with essentially three years left on his contract, if you include the, the optional year at the end, United were in a strong position. And I think given the, the difficulties, particularly given the difficulties that all of the English clubs have had bringing in players this summer for various reasons, but largely because we decided really stupidly to close the window early, meaning that European clubs can take us for a ride until the deadline and then spend the money later, that we couldn't really afford to lose a player of his importance to us this this summer. He's looked engaged in preseason. He's played pretty. He's played pretty well. You can see the difference in creativity when he when he's on and when he's not. I mean, the ball through to Mata last night was something that probably no one else on the pitch could have could have done. So you can you can see the importance to the team. And I'm I'm just hoping now that with everybody kind of working from the same page, he'll at least give us a season. I mean, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. I wouldn't be absolutely stunned if he ended up signing a new contract on a big money contract. But but regardless, if he doesn't get a year out of him, if he still wants to go, then you you've had a year to plan how to spend that money, um, and you can you can properly um, use it from a position of strength. Yes, that's just very true. Yes, absolutely. I guess who's who's next to discuss? I mean, De Gea is seemingly tied up that new deal. I mean. The contract hasn't been signed yet, but I'm presuming that's going to happen before the season kicks off a week on Sunday. Uh, that's a good result for us. I mean, again, as we spoke about it on the last pod, it seems like the options have just slowly sort of filtered away to the point where it makes more sense for him to stay at United, given his, the options available to him in terms of what, where he can actually go. Um, I guess the next one to talk about, because we discussed Wan-Bissaka and James in some detail already, and both have had pretty good pre-seasons so far. I guess it's Harry Maguire next. Now, this has been the centre-back signing that has been touted the longest during this transfer window. And going from reports from reliable reporters, from who you deem to be in the Manchester press pack, the issue seems to be that United are not willing to stump up a combination of £90 million combining with a fee and add-ons which I understand. I'm not saying for a second that United shouldn't be willing to pay the big bucks for a player like Maguire. And as we've spoken about plenty of times before, there is a premium on Premier League players, especially teams like Leicester City, who don't necessarily need that money straight away, who are building their own team, who are capable of pushing the top six at the moment. So they don't really have any need to sell. And Maguire only signed a new contract last season as well, so they're under no pressure to get rid of him. Maguire seems to have also made motions to all the club to say, yes, I'd like to move to United, but it's not happened yet. Part of me would be very happy to see this deal go through. Another part of me, whilst this may be very fanciful, wouldn't mind seeing Axel 2 and Zebi actually get a lot of games this season so we can see what we get out of him. Because ultimately we know what we're going to get out of the likes of uh, Rojo and Smalling and Jones. You'll get some mad challenges, some ridiculous mistakes and some decent games here and there. 
And I guess with Eric Bailly out for the next five months, that's potentially that that could spell the end of his United career, considering that he's had three fairly middling seasons at United and never really shown true consistency or an ability to stay fit regardless of you know how much you how much blame you place on him for that and I guess with I mean how are you approaching Maguire do you think that's a necessity for United based on what we know of United in general is do you see centre-back as the really vital position that we should be strengthening in between now and next Thursday it's a difficult one I said to my uh, one of my mates um, at the start of the summer that, that I wasn't sure that Maguire is quite as good as people as many people think he is and uh, I could totally see United blowing £80 million on him in the last two days of the window. He was said jokingly. But he would be a significant upgrade on what we've got at the back. I, I can understand the club not wanting to spend £80 to £90 million on Harry Maguire. So if that didn't happen, then I wouldn't I wouldn't be angry about it. What I might be angry about is the fact that we've not had seemed to have had an alternative the whole summer. And it seems to have been well, an assumption that we'll get Harry Maguire and that Leicester will bend a bit for us. And perhaps they will. Perhaps it'll all work out and in the next week Maguire will come. But if he doesn't, I, I'd be left thinking, why haven't we tried to get somebody else in? It's so difficult to read in terms of transfers in general at the moment because so much was always going to happen in this last week of the window with the, with the window closing early. So we could sit here and talk about Harry Maguire. Is he the right one? Is he not? And then in two days' time, we could end up signing some random from Udinese who ne- who nobody's even mentioned or we could we could we could end up signing someone else altogether and and it'll all be moot anyway so you know qualify have to qualify all the transfer talk at the moment with god knows there's eight days of what I think will be madness for, for most of the Premier League clubs still to come yeah I mean uh, talking about madness Bruno Fernandes I'm still none the wiser as to whether or not that's actually happening or not <laughs> I mean uh, Gianluca Di Marzio recently came out with uh, an article saying that yes it is happening and it's independent of any of the other deals United are doing so there's no worry about whether or not United have the money and have to sell before they can buy which is an interesting footnote because reports have started to surface a couple here and there saying that United are looking to sell purely because of the bloated size of their squad now the Kaku and Darmian didn't fly out to Norway and I'm assuming that's partly because, A, it's protection for making sure that they're nice and fit for any potential deals, or B, because they just couldn't be bothered. Who knows? And I I'm, hope it's the, latter, the former anyway, but we'll see. But, yeah, with Bruno Fernandes, it's an interesting one purely in a positional sense, because he you would guess, considering his output for Sporting Lisbon, that he would play in a similar position to Pogba. But it again, even getting that far ahead into the, the sort of nuts and bolts of a deal, it's still kind of impossible to tell whether or not United are legitimately in for him because frequently during the tour, they were at pains to point out to the likes of Simon Stone that United are not actually that interested. And my guess was that essentially they inquired as to his availability if Pogba was really, really going to push hard for an exit and had him as a backup plan. But since then, the interest has sort of gone cold because it looks like Pogba's staying. But obviously, potentially, the, the suggestion is that the Portuguese press have run with it. And that's why we've seen so much coverage over the situation. What, what's your reading of it anyway? I've, I don't think I've ever had a summer where a, a transfer has involved the sheer weight of information and the sheer weight of bullshit that, that's occurred with this. You've had the Portuguese press basically just contradicting themselves day after day after day, pushing transfers to here there and everywhere but seeming seemingly intent on United being the one you've had Di Marzio's team 
suggesting at the start of the summer that he was joining City, uh, only for it turn out turned out to be an all a complete con. Then you've got Demarcio saying that it seems to be likely to ha- happen after the Portuguese Super Cup on, on Sunday, but then you've got Duncan Castle saying that Sporting have only had one offer and that was ages ago this summer and nobody else has come back to them again. And whilst I, I'm often dubious about Castles, he generally knows his stuff on Portuguese football. <clears throat> the reality is, I think there's just an enormous amount of absolute bullshit flying around about Fernandez, and the only the only moment we'll know which is the correct information is the, the second the transfer window closes, because as is now, I, <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me if he joined next week, and it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't join next week, and we'd never had any interest whatsoever which is bizarre, but it is what it is. Yes, I mean, both are equally plausible, really, at this stage, yeah, and are, possible. Yeah. And I guess the last one to cover at the minute, because I can't think of any, apart from maybe Sean Longstaff, but again, you know, Newcastle have seemingly chucked a £50 million price tag on his head in an effort to basically price anyone out of a deal. That's the sort of price tag you put on a player when you don't want to sell them, really, especially considering his low level of Premier League experience. This one came out of relatively nowhere, considering that most of us expected eventually Inter Milan would stump up the cash for Romelu Lukaku. Now, United have, to me, gone about this in the right way, in the sense that they are demanding roughly the fee they paid for Everton two years ago when they bought Lukaku in the first place. And Inter Milan have, to a certain extent, been at pains to try and drag that fee down. I think initially they offered about £54 million around thereabouts, and there has been talk, I can't remember his name, but the Inter president was saying basically that's what we think he's worth in this market. And United have very wisely said, uh, yeah, no, not happening. So that seems to be at loggerheads. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Paolo Dybala in a swap for Lukaku has been the story of the last 24 hours. And I've got to admit, I've been very much enjoying that one, Rich. I mean, I said at the time, I, I felt it felt like it was completely implausible just purely because I wasn't sure Juventus would even want to do that. And secondly, I wasn't sure that Ibala would actually want to sanction that move because that would require a lot of moving parts to actually line up and for a lot of things to happen in order to, for a deal like that to actually come off. Now, in terms of where we're at with that at the moment, it appears that Lukaku is happy to go to Juve. United are happy for him to go to Juve. The key component here is if Dybala genuinely wants to move, wants to leave Juventus, essentially. If he gets told that there is no future for him at the club, then I would assume that Juventus would be looking to swap him out for Lukaku, which would be a pretty great move for us because you would definitely say that the Argentine fits much better with what Solskjaer is trying to do than Lukaku does. Um, I mean, it just came in as such a surprise, really, didn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, Juve are doing some funny things in this window. I mean, to essentially sell... Um, Moises Keane to Everton for what is a relatively small fee when this you know this is a kid that's kind of been their standout breakthrough young player who they gave a debut to at 16 and has scored scored you know scored goals for them since and and looks an absolute natural there to actually sell him within a deal that appears not to have a buyback as well and to then be willing to lose Dybala to get Lukaku which really confuses me because Lukaku's probably the least Sarri player in humanity just really confuses me I, and I'm perfectly happy with it I mean if it happens United have, <laughs> United have pulled Juve's pants down because Dybala you know Dybala's wouldn't be the guy if, we, if of all the things we need to address this summer his position wouldn't be the first that I'd be looking at but if you're going to sell your your centre forward who clearly doesn't fit with the way that the manager wants to play and that the team is clearly better without him in it then to get a guy who 
can come in and play in the number ten role that Ollie's used in pre-season in a in a a four two three one formation, who can also play to the right of an attack as well in a position that we're also weak in. You know, it's almost like an opportunity that's too good to be true. The question is really whether Dybala's actually up for it. You know, the only reservation would be, is he getting forced to go somewhere that he doesn't really want to go as Di Maria did? Um, but on the face of it, I don't, you know, we just don't, we don't even know if it's going to happen yet, but, but on the face of it, that would be an absolutely exceptional swap out for United to do. We, you know, we'd get rid of the problem and replace him with a guy who, who strengthens one or possibly two positions in the team that really need strengthening. My only concern is if, if he didn't come in, if we'd actually were we actually to sell him for money, would we be strengthening, more likely to strengthen at centre-back and centre-midfield, which are both particularly the midfield, which is which is a position that I'd be absolutely staggered if we didn't add a player in this summer. I think that would be absolutely, I think it would be utterly negligent not to do that. But on the face of it, if, you know, if we if we go away, we lose Lukaku, sign Dybala, and still buy a midfielder and a defend centre-back, then it's an absolute no-brainer as far as I can as far as I can tell. I mean, that's a dream window if we if we get those three yeah, yeah. signings sorted out before the end of the next Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I could, I, I could I, see I can't imagine any well. United fan would be dissatisfied <laughs> with that, surely. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, we've got such a such a large crew of online United fans who, who are now just resolved that they're going to hate everything the club does forevermore. I'm sure there are plenty who can complain about it. Those, those of the same mind will probably thank the lucky stars that we've actually done something decent for once. Interesting talking about Dybala as at number 10 as well, because especially in terms of our options there, what you would say we've got what Jesse Lingard and Juan Mata, who you could say would actually fit that position quite well. I'm still not fully convinced that Jesse Lingard can be a consistently good number 10 for United, let alone a consistently no. very good player, because the man is just so patchy. You know, he is mm-hmm. capable of scoring absolutely fantastic goals. But in terms of consistency, it's just... it's often just not there especially last season I guess you know not many people did have a good year last season and in terms of Juan love the man but can he really be a really fantastic number 10 at this stage in his career for us consistently and I'm not sure he can I think Dybala would help to solve that problem I'm not saying that that's where he's going to play for the entirety of this coming season if that move actually does happen but that certainly helps in that regard in terms of the midfield I think Personally, I think we've just got to accept that there's a good, very good chance that we're not going to sign anyone in that position. Mm. You know, I think you look at the players that we're actually legitimately linked with, and Longstaff, as we said, is looking seemingly be priced out of a move by Newcastle, which is their prerogative. That's absolutely fine. If they don't want to sell, they don't want to sell. And the only other target that we've been consistently linked with is Bruno Fernandes. And again, no one really knows what's happening there. Well, some people oh. do, but they're not telling us. And in terms of a defensive option if we decide not to go for Harry Maguire there's not really a lot of other options that United have really pushed out there so I do wonder if deals for Maguire don't happen and the and Lukaku maybe ends up going to Inter Evo or ends up staying I, I wonder how happy Solskjaer is going to be with that I mean part of me thinks that there's definitely a certain element knowing how toxic things were last season knowing how awkward things were between Mourinho and the board, in particular Edward Wood, given that he wanted these signings and Woodward was not willing to sanction them. The fact that 
this summer which was touted as being so big for us and especially oh. Solskjaer he made a rod for his own back in the eyes of some fans by saying some of these players wouldn't still be here at the club so far we've let Herrera go and there is an element of which to say Rocco and Damian should have been gone long before Solskjaer had to deal with them but beyond that it's definitely been the case that United have struggled to get rid of players that's not on him but it's still going to affect Solskjaer going forward if we're going to struggle to bring in more people because we've got such a bloated squad now, in terms of how that helps us to prepare for next season, I've no idea. You know, I I feel more confident, maybe not confident, I feel more positive about the situation having watched these last five games because I can see what Solskjaer's trying to do. There is still more room for improvement, for absolutely sure there is. And we do need more players. That's simply the fact of the matter. And, you know, the way that United have seemingly elongated transfers as opposed to not necessarily meeting valuation straight away but taking so long to get discussions done i mean this could all turn out to be completely ridiculous and thanks by the way rich for forcing us to do this pod because obviously i've got to make sure this gets out in the next 24 hours 48 (laughs) hours or it's going to be completely redundant so thanks for that (laughs) but we could yeah yeah exactly so who knows how things are going to look in a week's time i would be surprised if we don't go through the end of the window without buying anyone I think we'll bring someone in, but I've no idea who the identity of that person is now. It just feels, especially with the Dybala link, especially with the fact that it's legitimate interest and that we are talking to representatives and Juve about this swap deal. Everything just feels completely up in the air. That's exciting, but simultaneously utterly terrifying. Yeah, it's interesting actually that the um, that there's a link to Samuel and Titi that's appeared in the last 24 hours, which probably makes some sense because if Maguire's not happening, we've we've obviously been looking for a, a, a left-sided centre-back and Ntiti can certainly do that but he's another guy like Dybala who I mean he's already said this summer he's not entirely he doesn't want to leave Barcelona even if he's not particularly in favour and he's somebody who's had an awful lot of trouble in recent times with injury problems my only concern seeing that kind of link today is it feels a little bit like last summer where we had we had all these sort of scattergun links with with centre-backs in the in the final week of this the uh, transfer window and absolutely none of them came came to fruition. And I think United have played a really dangerous game this this summer in that they've tried. I think they've they've decided consciously to take these deals to the last week of, of our window to try and get more the best value they can. And, and a lot of Premier League clubs have done that as the same. But it's a really high risk strategy because ultimately, if it goes to shit, you've got no time to move on to anything else. It, and mm. it's <clears throat> I, you talk about the midfield, and I, I just find it strange that we don't seem to have had. There doesn't even seem to really have been a list, does there? We've had that link to, to Longstaff all, all summer, but there doesn't really seem to have been an alternative. I mean, we've watched... I, I, I'm slightly frustrated that we've we've seen Idrissa Gay get moved from Everson to PSG for about €30 million, Euros, and he's an absolutely brilliant, just pure defensive midfielder, you know, who was available for a very decent fee, who would make an enormous difference to United's effectiveness in terms of protecting the defence and, and, and with that pressing and winning the ball back in midfield. It just doesn't seem like we've had we've we've had a list of players we're working through. It seems to have been just an assumption we'll get we'll get Sean Longstaff because you know we're United and Newcastle are owned by Mike Ashley who just likes money, and it's it's clear that it hasn't worked out like that, and there doesn't seem to have been a plan B. I mean, it, it seems a bit ridiculous that we're, we're into this last week, and it could it could end up being an absolutely insane window, or it could be an absolutely dreadful window. But the, but the one thing is that I, I'm I'm kind of I'm feeling relatively positive anyway, just because I'm I'm just thinking, you know, if we don't get players in, then we get a chance to see some of the younger guys who've 
come into the squad and you know perhaps one man's famine is another man's feast isn't it so hmm. i mean even if we don't bring anyone else in between now and the end of the window personally i understand why people plenty of people were completely disagreeing with me and say i was talking absolute rubbish but i wouldn't view that as a total and utter disaster just because no. i feel like one of the biggest problems that united have had over the last six years is the fact that they completely lost well maybe not completely but large swathes of the identity that we've created for ourselves over the years had just seemingly evaporated you know we lost the ability to play as a team we didn't really seem to have any plan there didn't really seem to be much of a strategy on the pitch you know off it that's still very much up for debate you know regardless of what happens between now and the end of the transfer window but if we don't bring in a centre-back, then that means that, to me, we give Axel two hands every more chances. If we don't bring in anyone else to go uh, across that front three or a number 10, that means that the likes of Mason Greenwood, Tahith Chong and Angel Gomez get chances. If we don't bring anyone in midfield, then that means more chances for McTominay and Pereira. And yes, there are certainly holes in that argument because there are varying levels of quality in the players I've just listed. But at the same time... I would still feel I still feel more excited at that prospect at this exact moment in time that I would have done a year ago thinking about what we were seeing because at the minute in particular it feels like this team is on the same page and we haven't been able to say that for some time it, well, at least not over the last several years yes there was that point under Solskjaer where it felt like things were all clicking into place and the team were enjoying their football again but at this exact moment in time it's a Maybe not comfortable is the right word to say, but I think it, it feels nice. It feels like we're building towards something. And who knows where that's going to lead? You know, I, I would be very happy at this point, considering where we've been the last couple of years, considering the utter shit stain that was last year, to get a good cup run and top four. Obviously, we should be aiming for more, but at this exact moment in time, if we bring no one else in, and that's what we end up with in the next season, then good you know we need to make progress and we need to stop thinking that quick fixes and splashing hundreds of millions of pounds is suddenly going to fix everything we need a plan and it looks like we're actually starting to build one that's encouraging if nothing else it does feel like um that you know we, we all we all accept that under the glazers with with woodward leading transfer um, negotiations and with without a proper infrastructure there to identify and bring players in that buying players isn't going to be the ultimate answer for us in the, in this kind of medium term. And so it does need something different. And, and given that we've got a, a clutch of very talented young players, perhaps investing, whether by choice or, or by necessity, time in those players is probably United's best opportunity to actually move forward in the next three or four years. Whilst missing um, immediate targets might be a, a blow to the chances of performing immediately when the season starts... It might be just that United need to take a new tack, and the, for the first time in in the last six or seven years, we've got a manager in who who is committed to to developing those players. Now, whether he's whether he's got the capabilities to do it, we don't know. You know, we we'll, we'll find we'll find out as we go. But preseason suggests that there's something there, something that we can work with. And if I think a lot of people, and I'm certainly certainly one of those, and I know Gary Neville had a good rant about it at the end of last season, but he said he doesn't like. There's nothing about that the team that it, that we had ended the season that he liked, and you know that there are so many players now that we don't like, and so it would just be nice to see a t- a team of players. You've got the, these young players in who you know are absolutely giving their all. They're absolutely, you know, they're largely fearless. They're not just the same tired names getting chance after chance after chance, 
and and that it's it would be very difficult to hate a team that has a clutch of academy products who are getting getting decent amount of game time and you can see they're absolutely busting a gut in everything they do um and so it, it, it seems like a it seems like an incredibly low bar but i'll just be satisfied to have a football team that i don't absolutely hate watching next year <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i guess that's been the weird thing about preseason. yes they're not necessarily important games and it's more for fitness than anything else but i've looked forward to watching them mm. we've been fun to watch so far this summer and i'll take that any day of the week you know it, it's small things like that that remind you of watching United and not looking forward to it as more of a chore or an obligation just because you support the club. And that's mm. what various points in last season turned into. It didn't feel like we were getting anything enjoyable out of watching United. It felt like it was something that we simply had to do. And that's not to say that we, you know, we haven't had it wonderfully, <laughs> we haven't had it wonderfully cushy over the last sort of 20, 30 years, mm. because we really have. But especially last season, it was just that was a, a different level to anything I can remember over my years of supporting the club. So yeah, I do find myself looking forward to this season. Shoot me. Uh, I guess the only thing to discuss now is uh, the Chelsea game that we've got on a week Sunday because the community shield is coming in what five days or so. So a quick word on Chelsea uh, at Old Trafford. How do you reckon that's going to pan out? Lampard uh, returning to the club to actually manage uh, the only player they've been able to bring in to my mind is Christian Pulisic, who seems to have done okay this preseason but it's very difficult to judge what they're going to be like especially with that Hazard now because he was so integral to the way they actually played I mean Higuain's gone as well which makes complete sense because he was bad it's, it's interesting because you know in many ways Chelsea are kind of in the same position that we are or we are as, as this minute rather than where we may be at the end of the transfer window and, you know so much can change this may be completely redundant but you know they're in a position now where they they're forced to to use the young players that they've not been using for years and they've done much as United have done they brought in an old flame player who will be happy and is happy to work with those young players and try and improve those young players and so the reality is United and Chelsea we haven't got a clue what we're going to get really it could it could go two ways it could go really well or it could go absolutely awfully we're, we're probably the two teams in the in the whole Premier League who are least easy to predict this season and so the answer is that God only knows who's going to win that game. It could go either way, and you have absolutely no idea. But it's, it's important, I think, that United make a start, a decent start of sorts. I think Wolves away is a really, really tricky first away game of the season. So we want to be going into the kind of third and fourth games when I think we've got slightly, slightly softer opponents that where we've at least made a decent start to the season and we've got something to build on. We'll see though, won't we, mate? I mean, I guess well, now this is the last pod we're going to do prior to that game against Chelsea unless United do an absolute madness over the next couple of days and we have to do another yeah. emergency pod like we did when basically most of our managers get sacked or we sign Paul Pogba. Yeah. Anyway mate always a pleasure looking forward to it right guys thank you as ever for listening don't forget you can get us all over twitter should you be so inclined you can get rich at at rich red voices you can get me at at you and lennett and you can also get the pod at red voices mufc on our blog at redvoices.net. and if you're looking for somewhere else to actually get the pod you can get us all over itunes spotify you can get us over soundcloud and all of the android podcast apps you could possibly want have yourselves a superb week and please try not to get too upset over transfers you know we've, we've got a lot of football to get upset about later on in the year it's a long season to go. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye.